0: Oh, we go that way. Okay, cool. All right, this is great. I, I love it. So uh, as we jump in today, uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, that's kind of our main text. Um, I just wanted to give you a little bit of context. Cindy and I often listen um, to recordings uh, of different people, uh, you know, it's something we like to do. Oh, there's one old British Bible teacher we listen to in particular. Uh, he commonly, he, I like the way he says it. Um, yeah, okay, I'll do the accent. He always says, uh, text without context is merely a pretext. So, that, so if we really want to get God's word wrong, we take it out of context. So I don't want to do that today, even before we get started. I just want to <coughs> spend a couple of minutes. Paul's writing to the Philippians. Okay, uh, Let's keep in mind that Philippi, it's the city uh, in Acts chapter 16 where Paul and Silas were, they were in prison there because they were bad for business. There was this girl, she was a fortune teller. She was, she would, uh, they, her handlers made a lot of money off of her. Um, she, she would just tell people's fortunes. When Paul and Silas show up in the city, whatever spirit inside of her, unclean spirit that was helping her with the fortune-telling business, uh, had no choice. This spirit was compelled just to follow Paul and Silas around for three or four days, just yelling over and over, These men are servants of the Most High God. These men are servants of the Most High God. Eventually, I don't know how long it took, Paul finally got tired of it and, and cast the spirit out. So then she no longer has her fortune-telling ability. And uh, her handlers got, you know, obviously pretty mad. Paul and Silas were bad for business, so they had him locked up. They, they raised, uh, they raised uh, oppression, um, uh, opposition to Paul and Silas, had him tossed in jail. When Paul writes this to them, he's no longer in Philippi, though. He's left uh, the, the famous story about how Paul and Silas' uh, chains were, fell off, the prison doors were opened, and, and they were set free. Okay? So uh, Paul writes this much later, though, in, in prison, uh, most likely in Rome, uh, towards the end of his life is when he writes it. And Paul is very thankful to God for the Philippian church, not only for their faithfulness, but also for their tangible support of his work. And and it's in the third the third point here uh, where um where Bo the missionary can really identify with Paul the missionary here in that I come to you uh, very thankful for your faithfulness, very thankful for your prayers and your tangible support of the work that we do. He tells him uh, chapter one, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel, from the very first day until now. He considers them to be partners in the work. They're not just the, uh, you know, they're not just sending him funds to do the work. They are partners. They join in it with him, wholeheartedly. He says, "I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity." So they send to Paphroditus to Paul with, with a gift to continue helped him to, to sustain his ministry and and to eat, essentially, as he's in prison in Rome. Um, and he says, again, because he's sharing, he has trouble because he's in prison. He said, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. So that's his context of the Philippians. It's a church he's thankful for, <laughs> for their partnership. He loves them. Uh, he's thankful that um, he is, he's neck deep uh, in ministry and has been for years, and this church is right there with him. And so that's where, that's where Bo the missionary resonates with Paul the missionary today. Uh, just the context of today's passage, Paul's been writing, among other things, he writes to the church about those people who say you need to be circumcised in order to follow Christ. Paul's explaining to them how we can have no confidence in the flesh. That is to say that we can in no way depend on anything within ourselves for salvation. If anybody could do that, it would have been Paul. If anybody could have the credentials needed for self-righteousness, it would have been Paul. Look what he says about himself. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I've got you beat. I was circumcised on the eighth day, people of Israel. I was the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. Okay? But Paul says that all those things should just be counted in the loss column. For the sake of christ and we're going to talk about what that lost column means his experience his education his credentials his upbringing it's all garbage compared to knowing jesus everything else pales in comparison whatever gain i had i counted as loss for the sake of christ indeed i count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing christ jesus my lord a familiar passage to us for his sake i have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish In order that I may gain Christ. What are you thinking? Uh, Hey, Bo, Uh, you know this is missions month, right? So why aren't you talking about missions? Um, Hey, Bo, there are lots of great passages you could have picked. And it's true, there are. Um, You know, the old standards, right, that we know and love. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations in Greek. That's all the ethnicities. Uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. A lot of us have that memorized, and a lot of us had it memorized before the ESV came out. Um, so, but we, but everybody's going to learn it again. Um, <laughs> Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, uh, all Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Okay, so there's this idea of, of going and being a verbal witness telling people about the good news of jesus christ and salvation found in jesus alone and telling that to the whole world at the same time we get lots of verses Uh, luke 4 which, which is jesus quoting isaiah 61 the spirit of the lord's upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the lord's favor and the crowds asked him, John the Baptist, and said, so what should we do? Because he's calling them to repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. And he says, whoever has two tunics is to share with the one who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Leviticus 19, 34, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land. We just saw a family of strangers sojourning in our land. Treat them with you just as they were native among you. Love him as yourself, for you were strangers in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So I didn't pick one of those. By the way, this, i got time. I'll just tell you this. Um, I chose these passages for a reason. There was an outstanding quote that Derwin uh, showed from the food bank in La Mirada. Food feeds their body. Jesus feeds their soul. Um, a lot of times we've come into this thing about, uh, so do we, do we want to um, share the gospel and preach to people, or do we want to help people? Um, let me encourage you, that is a false dichotomy. I don't know how it got invented, but we need to do away with it. It's not either or, it's both and. We, we treat people lovingly uh, as image bearers of God while at the same time sharing with them the hope that we have. Um, let's do both. Uh, it's not a, not a either or, it's a, it's a, it's a both and. Um, you know, Saint, the famous quote, uh, St. Francis of Assisi, right? Preach the gospel all the time, use words if necessary. A lot of people love that. We think, that's awesome. We, should, we could just l- love people, and they would just know about the gospel because of the way we live. Yeah, if anybody could have done that, it would have been Jesus. And guess what? He used words, too, okay? So it doesn't really work. But at the same time, at the other end of that, at the other end of that string, 1 John three seventeen, anybody who has the world's good goods and sees a brother in need and closes their heart towards them, the love of God is not in them. Okay? So as we serve, both and. Food feeds the body, Jesus feeds the soul. Let's come with both. Okay. Um, get, getting more of that later. All right, so why did I pick this? Why are these? What, because if we want to do these things, if we want to take the good news of salvation through Jesus to all the world and proclaim that, if we want to um, share the gospel, evangelize, translate scripture into people's heart languages, And if we want to care for the poor and comfort the sick, if we want to share what we have with those who have less, and if we want to love the stranger among us, if we want to do those things, it is impossible unless we first do these things that we're going to talk about today. We have to be able to count all things as rubbish compared to the worth of knowing the risen Jesus. We have to gain Christ and be found in Him. We have to share in His sufferings. We have to be humble and obedient even to death. So when we get this, then we can go back and take a look at that. All right. should be in your outlines today. This is a little bit about what we're going to talk about, a man-centered view of salvation and a God-centered view of salvation. I think this, what I've got here, I think is the easiest way to get to where I wanted to go. So that's why we did it that way. A man-centered view of salvation says that I I was basically pretty good before I came to know the Lord. God- you're lucky to have me. <laughs> I, gotta, I, br- I bring a lot of things to the table. That would be kind of foolish. God's interview of salvation is everything before. It's garbage. That's what Paul said. He had more credentials than any of us. Everything before I knew Jesus is just garbage by comparison. I am no longer interested. Okay. Whatever gain I had, Paul says, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. His upbringing, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, born to a fine family, had an outstanding education. As, as to the law, I was a Pharisee, I was, he was, he was Ph.D., M, he, he had like, he had so many letters after his name, He's probably, he was Ph.D., M.D., <laughs> so on and so forth. I don't know, I'm out of letters, I don't know what comes next. Um, his abilities and achievements man he was when it came time to to squash the the uh, this new sect uh, of Christianity oh let's get Paul he'll get the job done let's call him So he's the one they picked he could he, he did for a while got to get the job done as far as his character he says about himself as far as righteousness under the law I was blameless everything that Paul used to value about himself he now sees as worthless when compared to Christ he has an entirely new set of priorities. Indeed, he says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. There is nothing, no happiness, no accomplishment, no success, nothing worth, worth even comparing to the worth of knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus is so extremely valuable it's worth far more than anything else we have and everything else we could ever, ever have all put together. Paul's not just talking about, yeah, the, the, the you know, the, my bad. When he talks about being his zeal and being a Pharisee, he, yeah, all that bad stuff I used to do, yeah, it's rubbish. I, I don't know that he's saying it was all, you know, even the good part. I knew the law. I was blameless. He's even saying the good stuff is garbage compared to knowing Jesus. Yeah, our, our broken past and the mistakes that we've made and the things that we've done that we really would not be comfortable if everyone knew. Yeah, that's garbage. But even, the, even the, the, the first line on your resume is also garbage compared to knowing Jesus. There's nothing. For his sake, I have suffered the loss. Of all things. I think our problem is that we picture Paul as some um, non-human like robot of joy who just says, here, Lord, everything. No, I think it was ripped from him, right? He went around blind for a while just to show that, Paul, I'm not even going to let you see until you see it my way. It's not as though Paul was always cheerfully smiling as he said goodbye to everything upon which he based his existence. Many of those things he counted as loss. They were ripped from him. He didn't. The amazing thing about Paul's conversion story, and trust me, if your testimony is not as good as the Apostle Paul's, don't worry, nobody's is. (laughs) Because it was instant. It wasn't, you know, oh, gradually, you know, this. No, these things were ripped from him. And he had to go around blind for a while. He had to learn how to do everything all over again. Okay? Man's interview of salvation. I was basically pretty good before. Man's interview of salvation talks about Jesus plus. What is Je- What do you mean, Bo? What is Jesus plus? I'm glad you asked. You guys ask good questions. Je- <laughs> um, Jesus, man, what do you want for your life? Oh, Jesus... Own oh, a good job, Jesus. Oh, manageable mortgage, Jesus, and just to be treated fairly at work. No, man's interview of salvation is Jesus. Well, also, in this too, but a God's interview of salvation is treasuring Christ above everything else. That everything else, it just fades away. I don't know if it, uh, it, it might register a one or a two, but it's not the hundred that treasuring Christ registers. Okay? That's what Paul says about it. In order that I may gain Christ, he counted everything rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. It's a lot of, a lot of language there. It's kind of hard for us to put our, put our minds around, but we're going to get there. That I may gain Christ and be found in him. Let's we'll start there. How do we gain Christ and be found in him? We gain Christ when we lose ourselves. We don't have the capacity in us to have Christ and to have ourselves. We're not built that way. Um, the old, yeah, I saw this, uh, uh, this guy put this online. What do you call those postings? So um, it just said, um, yeah, God is not your co-pilot. Okay, he, you, um, he is driving, and you are in the back, passed out in a stretcher. Um, we gain Christ by losing ourselves. Man's interview of salvation. We keep ourselves. God's interview of salvation. We lose ourselves. How do we do that? What does that mean? Jesus told his disciples, "If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me." FYI, this was before Jesus died on the cross. This was before they sold him in Christian bookstores. It was a, it was a instrument of death. Okay, He's, his disciples had. There's no mistaking. If anybody would come after me, let him deny himself and die. Crosses were not, we always say, oh, it's just my cross to bear. No, crosses aren't for dragging, they're for dying on. So he says, if anybody's going to come after me, let him deny himself and die. Because whoever's going to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? Is he talking about physical death? Should we, should we go, should we, you know, uh, Angama, her husband, right? Probably threatened. Because he he helped the U.S. Army as a translator. That's a big deal. So should we go do something that risky where we might die? Is that what he's talking about? For some of you, maybe. But I think the point is, explained a little more clearly here, when Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. He's writing to the Galatians in this one. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life that I do live now. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And who gave himself for me? I've hung everything on Jesus. I've pinned it all to Him. That's complete trust. He didn't hold anything back for himself. There was no, um, there was no Plan B for Paul. I'm hanging and pinning everything, all of my hopes, on Jesus. Gaining Christ by losing Himself. It set Paul free. His priorities were turned upside down, and he no longer looked for the world's approval. So he was able to instruct Timothy, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Okay, so moment of reality. Um, Come today as a, as a friend, and, and, as, and as a missionary sent from here. So I'm not coming with a, a judging tone. Please don't hear that in, in what I say, because everything I say is for me as well, and i pinning everything on Jesus. Um, uh, we used to live in, in Buena Park, right? We lived in a brand new house. Um, I knew that I knew that when God was calling us to missions, that we would have to let go of that house. But man, it was so nice there and I knew that this is, this is probably the nicest house I'm ever, ever going to live in, probably. Um, and we hadn't been there in five years since we left for China, but many of you were there that night when we packed it up and drove to the airport. So uh, Cindy's mom and dad had been renting the house out. Well, the, tenant, the tenants moved out, and so they needed somebody to go just check on the house and see what it was like. So oh my gosh. We'll go back there, to the, back to the den of comfort. So, so I went first without Cindy. Um, Wow, so this is, I I could move back here. You know, I was worried, I was really scared um, about, this is like a test. Will I be able to pass this test? I'm I'm really thankful. I went in and and just my first thought were, oh, it's just a house. It's not my home. I was really thankful for that. We felt the same thing when we got there. Seems smaller, like when you're a kid, and, and you, you know, you go back. I mean, I haven't grown that much in five years. <clears throat> I'm not here today to try to recruit you to go on missions. If the Lord stirs in your heart, fantastic. Um, a question is is not. I'm not asking you will you go, uh, but I want you to listen to the Spirit of God. Um, maybe He's not asking you will you go. Maybe He's asking you would you go, if I asked you. I An mean, even more pressing question for this one. Maybe he's saying, could you go if I asked you? I'd love to, but I got too much tied up here. I got this mortgage and this mortgage, and I just, that's, that's not the way Paul, Paul saw it. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. His aim is to please the one who enlisted him. I had a chance to speak with your um, with your kids, the youth, last week. It was exciting. I haven't done that in, in quite a while. We talked a lot about Romans chapter twelve, verses one and two, where Paul encourages uh, Christians everywhere to treat their bodies and their lives as living sacrifices and I, I shared with the youth um, there are verses that I would make a whole in the Bible that if that verse well, the verses that are not in the Bible that I kind of wish were, it would help me understand it better It would make a little bit more sense i 'm like, surely this is missing, but I know it 's not because it 's God's word and it 's perfect but I just oh if that was there, it would just really help me so you know, so I was reading the story about Abraham and Isaac. Um, you know, Abraham is, is uh, God tell, waited for Isaac for 100 years, right? Here comes the promised child, and God tells him, I want you to offer him to me, okay? So they're going up the mountain, Isaac said, so, Father, where's, where's the sacrifice? You know, we got the wood, we got the fire, what about the sacrifice? Abraham tells him, you guys know the story, don't worry, God will provide. So they get to the top of the mountain, and the verse that I'm looking for, that just is not in there, and I've read a lot of translations. I just can't find it. Is and lo, Abraham picked up a stick and hit Isaac in the head with it, and then tied him up and put him on the altar. Because he's a hundred. If I, I'm thirty-seven, I can't catch my six-year-old. How's a hundred-year-old man on top of a mountain going to do that? And maybe maybe Isaac's older. Maybe he's fourteen. How, you know, he can easily resist his father. We talk about Abraham and the, and the sacrifice that he did. Isaac climbed up there. Okay, Isaac, time to get up. Time to climb up on the altar. And he did. This is what Paul's talking about. Can we live our lives as living sacrifices? When God asks a question, can the answer always be yes from us? And we'll go back to this one real quick. Um, the other story I told the youth... Uh, uh, they're young and they're not allowed to go into them, but there, there are, you know, racetracks where where horses run. But they, but they, but they knew about them, which which is fine. Um, <laughs> so I said, so how, how do they get the horses to run? And uh, one of the kids said, oh oh, there's a jockey on them that rides I'm like, Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the jockey gets them going the right way and they race. I told him where I grew up. I grew, I didn't grow up in California. I grew up in the South, and I said we have dog tracks where greyhounds race. I'm like, so you can't fit a jockey on a dog. At least not for long. So, so, so how do they get the dogs to run? So one of the kids, well, they, they must put a shock collar on them. I said, well, <laughs> I won't tell you who. Said that, like, do, you, do you have animals at home? But he um, but came with a quick, too. Shock collar. No. Right, no. I said, if they do that, they're just going to go everywhere. Right? They're, they're not going to run in a straight line. I said, here's what they do. I said, ahead of the, and you, may, you may have seen this, ahead of the dogs, there's this mechanical bar that they drag around the track, just ahead of the dogs. And at the end of it, there's usually like a little furry, fake rabbit. I said, but they spray, that ra- they spray the rabbit with like, I don't know if they put meat juice on it or what, but something that, something that the dogs want. And then when the dogs are like in, in the little stalls getting ready to start, they just go rubbing the dogs' faces, you know, hey, you want this, you want this? And so when the race starts, there goes the rabbit, and the dogs go after it. And they can never catch it. If they catch it, the race would be over. And even when the race is over, they grab the rabbit quickly and pull it away. Because if a dog ever got a hold of it, he would know it's not a real rabbit. He would know it's fake, and he would no longer have any interest in chasing it. And he wouldn't be a good racing dog anymore. And I told the kids, I talked for like an hour, and I said, if you only remember anything, remember this. The world's idea of success is that rabbit. Even if you caught it, which you never will, you would know it's fake. It's not real. Okay, moving on. When James Calvert went out as a missionary, this is a familiar story, to the cannibals of the Fiji Islands, the ship captain tried to turn him back, saying, you're going to lose your life and the lives of those with you if you go out among such savages. And the famous reply Calvert gave is, we died before we came here. When we got on the boat to make the trip, just like Galatians 2.20, they were crucified with Christ and the life they lived in the body they lived by faith in the Son of God who died and who gave himself for them. This story is very famous. I kept trying to find the, or, the original source. I couldn't find it. But what I did find was uh, years later, after much hardship and turmoil, uh, the king of Fiji became a Christian. And he, uh, the death drums, they had a big ceremony where the king pronounced that these are no longer death drums. They're now the drums that we will beat to call people to worship. So it takes a lot of dying. I wish it was easier. I I wish there were verses that were in the Bible that aren't. I also wish that there were some that are that weren't. And and, and that's one of them, the whole dying to ourselves, (laughs) because it's hard, okay? A man-centered view of salvation, it seeks God's glory uh, uh, for a while, up to a point. But a God-centered view of salvation, it seeks God's glory at any cost, okay? that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any, may, any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Let's play a little game. This will be fun. It's called Adventures in Selective Reading. Um, I think we should do this every week, but we'll do it this week for sure. Okay, 1 John four nineteen. We loved because he first loved us. Raise your hand if that was on your wedding um, program handout. <laughs> I'm raising my hand. I think it was, it was on ours, right? I'm pretty sure. It wasn't? <laughs> then who was that late? No, I'm just kidding. Um, but a lot of people do. Uh, you rarely see First John 4.20. Um, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. It'd be cool. Just, just put, the, put both of them on there next time. <laughs> Nobody would ever forget your wedding. Um Be still, Psalm forty-six, ten a Be still and know that I am God. That sounds wonderful. You can't be on Facebook for five minutes without seeing somebody putting that on a picture somewhere. And the people that laugh first are probably the people that put it up. But we often forget that's only half the verse. God goes on to say, I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. Sometimes we take the first half and we say, that sounds really good for me. That's what I really need. I need to just be still. And God goes on to say, and sometimes you do, but God goes on to say, don't forget. Relax. Be still. Know that I am God, the God who will be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. We go all day on on, um, verses that point us to God's plan all around the world, and we only know half the verse. We can do that all day, but we won't. We're just going to do this one. In this one, if I had a dollar for every missions conference I've been to where this was on the T-shirt. Look among the nations and see and wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They will come down on you like fire. So... Um, so we're, we're, all, we're all to blame for this, uh, adventures in selective reading, but let me encourage you that right here we don't selectively read this because knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection is inseparable from sharing in his sufferings and becoming humble and obedient like he was in his death. Back to Philippi. Let me see where we're at. So, yeah, suffering is normal. Expect it. Suffering is the rare exception, in a man's interview of salvation. There are some people around the world who suffer. What a tragedy! Let's pray for them. Let's rescue them from that. God's interview of salvation. Suffering is normal. Expect it. So also Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through His own blood. Therefore, let us go to Him outside the camp and bear the reproach He endured. If you were in a home group last week, you heard this. The rest of you are going to hear it tonight. Jerusalem, or Golgotha is not a suburb of Jerusalem. Let's go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Remember the word I said to you, Jesus said, A servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're also going to persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll also keep yours. Paul tells Timothy again, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul tells this same Philippian church, It's been granted to you. Has it been granted? It's a gift. Let's treasure this. That for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, oh, but also suffer for his sake. Let's not think that just because because we live in, in America and we have some protections, some religious liberty, let's not think this doesn't matter to us. Tough question is, what does suffering look like for you? Um, it may not mean, uh, like Paul and Silas did, that you have to spend time in prison. It may not mean that you give your life. Um, going by what God's word says about how we all will suffer, it's not out of the realm of possibility that may might be something your grandkids or great-grandkids would face living here in this country. Certainly, it includes identifying with those who do. But this idea of suffering, that everyone would suffer, it's gaining Christ by losing ourselves, reversing our priorities, being willing to offer God a blank check wherever, whatever, whenever, however, not holding on to anything more tightly than we hold on to Jesus, and never making our answer no. If you can do those things, if you're wondering how in the world can I apply suffering um, to my life, if you can do those things, don't worry, God will show you how you can suffer. (laughs) He'll he'll gladly lead you into it. It requires a bit of... um, Let's go back here quick. It requires a bit of... of, uh, being willing to be pruned. I attended a, a medical class. I'm not a doctor, um, but I like to think I am. But I'm not really. But I did attend a, a two-week uh, rural medicine class. It was uh, medical missions for non-doctors. Um, it was cool. It was something we hope to use in the future going back uh, pretty soon. But while I was there, we did a chapel every morning. The chaplain was an old, retired missionary. Um, he had lived in the Philippines and in South Korea for 20 or 30 years. Um, I'll tell you this story before I tell you the other story. Uh, the one thing I really respected about him was the small town in North Carolina, um, maybe three, 4,000 people. Uh, maybe bigger than that, maybe 10,000. But he, what he said was, in this town of just a few thousand people, uh, there were about 300 retired missionaries who live there, spent their lives overseas and went back to settle in the mountains of North Carolina. It's really pretty. And he said there's probably about 100 retired pastors who live here as well. Um, a lifetime, lifetimes of, of uh, experience, of wisdom, serving the Lord. But he was not willing to, even that he counted as garbage when he told us all, 300 missionaries, 150 retired pastors live here. But we've still got people living in the bushes behind the grocery store, and I'm worried that God's going to judge us for it. Everything he even had in his past is garbage, just compared to knowing Jesus. And here's the real story I want to tell you. So he lived in South Korea uh, in the early 70s. He had, like, the courtyard with the garden. Some people here might be familiar with the uh, idea. So his, his Korean neighbor had the same thing going. They were friendly towards one another, but naturally a little gardening rivalry uh, bloomed. Um, so uh, anyway, <laughs> so, anyways, so it, was, it was a pretty neat thing they kept doing back and forth. So he had, this, he had this beautiful vine, trellised vine that grew all over the courtyard, produced some really amazing flowers and a ton of flowers. It, it was his pride and joy. Well, they were getting ready to go on furlough, kind of like what our family's been doing here. Uh, they were going to go on furlough for almost a year. Um, back to He was Scottish. They were headed back to Scotland for about a year. So there was a, a new young missionary family coming, and they were going to actually live in their house for that year and kind of take care of everything as they learned language and decided where they wanted to go live later. It was a, it was working out pretty well. So they were showing this new couple around the house, this young man. And so this the seasoned missionary, he's showing the young man the garden out back and telling him, "Okay, so I got a little thing with the neighbors. You know, it's a little bit of a competition. Come on, we have got to hold our own, all right?" So he's showing him the beautiful vine and you know just all the flowers, and he's telling him how to treat it and everything. The young man just, "Okay, yeah, I'm listening. I'm listening." So, uh, the older missionary, his wife calls him into the house for just a second. He's like, Oh, we'll be back in a few minutes. While he's gone, the younger missionary takes the garden shears, just goes to town on this vine, just decimates it. The missionary comes back to the backyard and is like, What did you do? Why did you do that? You took all my flowers off. And the young missionary said, This vine's not meant to produce flowers. It's meant to produce fruit, but you're not willing to prune it, and that's the way our lives are. When we prune ourselves and we allow God to prune us by releasing control, we shift from we have a flowery life to we have a fruitful life, and that's the one we really want. We don't, we don't hold on to anything more tightly than we hold on to Jesus. A man-centered view of salvation, hey, I am feeling pretty much at home here. Life is pretty good. Uh, but a God-centered view of salvation is one that longs for our eternal home. How can anybody, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, but that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection of the dead? Who can do this? Who could willingly suffer? That is backwards to everything we've known our whole lives. Well... It's the one whose mind is set on the joy that awaits. Paul tells this same group of Philippians, he's in jail in Rome. He doesn't know if he's ever going to see the outside of those bars. And he tells them that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The writer of Hebrews was talking about those. He said, and if you're a home group again, last week you're familiar, tonight you'll be familiar too. You had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Who is willing to suffer and willing to give things up for the cause of Christ? It's people who realize that this is just temporary. Everything we've got, the house in Buena Park, it's already starting to look old. It's only 10 years old. It already looks old. It's just temporary. Praise the Lord, we have a better possession and an abiding one. It's kept un, unblemished forever for us. Hey? So where do we go from here? How does a God-centered view of salvation produce a God-centered life? Glad Paul tells us. Not only, he goes on to say, not that I have already obtained this or not that I'm already perfect. I resonate with that myself. I, I do not have this figured out. Bo does not have this figured out either. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made, has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Man-centered view of salvation, we have a useful God. This should be quite familiar to you guys. Paul talks about useful God a lot, and I'm really thankful for it. The, um, Pastor Paul. The Apostle Paul does too, but it, it, it phrased differently. Um, but that God can do some good for me uh, that that I can that God is is a, the means to the end um, but a God's interview of salvation is that God is sovereign not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own well I was deeply impacted on uh, our Good Friday evening service when we, when we had the time of prayer at the end and the, the um uh, this doesn't always happen for me but just the 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 as i prayed um was really wrestling uh with going back to to uh, china in a, in a month um 5 weeks i didn't know um like we kind of have to go back cuz our stuff's there but i but i wasn't like i wasn't like yes let's go back um but what came to me was just this idea that I just need to surrender. And the, even as a Good Friday service, just the, you know, you've got to be careful when we say God spoke to us. But, but really, I, what, what really stirred in my heart was just this idea that um, Jesus bought me. He owns me. And he paid for me on the cross. How dare I ever say no? Who am I to do that? I press on to make this call my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Do what you want. Send me where you want. Here's the blank check. A man's interview of salvation. We are just we're just coasting in Jesus. Life is pretty good. About ready to about ready to stick this thing into cruise control, and just head down the highway of life with God as my co-pilot. But a God-centered view of salvation is not knowing what we know about how we need to lose ourselves, that we might gain Christ. Because we belong to Him, we need to press on. I'm not going to show you this quote just yet, and here's why. Um, I want you to hear me. The quote I'm about to show is rough. Um, So it was rough for me once upon a time, and it's still rough for me now. Um, So it's okay that it's rough. Uh, Again, I don't think the Lord wants everybody in here to go on missions. I do think the Lord wants everybody in here to gain Christ by losing yourself. So as we read this quote, that's what I want you to think about. I'm not trying to recruit you to go on missions. From John Piper. This is what he says You don't have to know a lot of things for your life to make a lasting difference in the world, but you do have to know the few great things that matter and then be willing to live for them and die for them. The people that make a durable difference in the world are not the people who have mastered many things, but who have been mastered by a few great things. If you want your life to count, if you want the ripple effect of the pebbles you drop to become waves that reach the ends of the earth and roll on for centuries and into eternity, you don't have to have a high IQ or EQ. You don't have to have to have good looks or riches. You don't have to come from a fine family or a fine school. You have to know a few great, majestic, unchanging, obvious, simple, glorious things and be set on fire by them. But I know that not everybody in this crowd wants your life to make a difference. There are hundreds of you. You don't care whether you make a lasting difference for something great. You just want people to like you. If people would just like you, you'd be satisfied. Or if you could just have a good job with a good wife and a couple of good kids and a nice car and long weekends and a few good friends, a fun retirement, a quick and easy death, and no hell. If you could have that, minus God, you'd be satisfied. That is a tragedy in the making. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Here's a bit of good news. What I just laid on you was pretty heavy, but here's some good news to balance that out. Here's why we can forget what lies behind us. If your past is just full of crud, you can forget it. Why? Because Jesus has also forgotten what lies behind you. He doesn't hold that stuff against you anymore. You're free to run after him. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. You're free to run after Christ because he has forgotten what's behind you. This is a God-centered view of salvation. Everything we had before we knew Christ, we count as garbage. We lose ourselves. We recognize that suffering is normal, and we expect it. We treasure Christ above all else. We seek God's glory at all costs. We look for our eternal home where we'll be with our sovereign God, and we press on until we get there. Back to the beginning. If we want to do these, and I think we want to do those, Let me just encourage you with this. What you just heard about the local outreach is wonderful. Please, please, don't make that what Derwin does and what Twang does. Don't make that what Michelle and Adrian do. Make that what we all do. Get on board. Let's do this together. Let's take the good news of salvation through Jesus into all the world. Come and visit us. Pray for us. Pray for the Zhuang. Care for the poor. Food feeds the body. Jesus feeds the soul. Amen. Let's get on board with that. Let's comfort the sick. Let's share what we have with those who have less. And let's love the stranger among us. Man, what a way to live that out, Michelle and Adrian. That's awesome. And we can do that when we do these. When we do these, we're going to want to do that. Nothing else is going to satisfy us. We won't see any other point to our lives except those. going to read these questions, then I'll pray, and I don't want you guys to talk about these. What goes in your loss column? I want you to get with people um, as we divide. Really, don't get into big groups. Really, no more than three. We say that, and there's always six guys back over here. Really, (laughs) don't. I really want you to talk about that, and the reason I'm showing these questions now is as we pray and as you move your chairs, you can be thinking. What goes in your loss column compared to knowing Christ? Has your view of salvation been man-centered in some way and how? And what does it mean for you to press on for the prized call of God? Let me pray. Father in heaven, we worship you. We belong to you. What comfort we find in Jesus' words. That when we lose our lives for your sake, we find it and it's so much better than what we would have created for ourselves. Help us, Lord, to lose our lives for your sake so that we might find it. We thank you for your unchanging word. We thank you for your patience towards us when we love ourselves a bit too much. Help us as we discuss Help us as we live. We have no hope without you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Don't you divide your chairs?